Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Well, it's Cup Week end, isn't it? A lot of people take the extra day out. And uh, something we don't advertise, but I probably need to alert you that the word Baptist is an anagram of TAB tips. We don't advertise that, but uh, you probably need to know. The Presbyterians are better at this because they're an anagram of best in prayer. But we don't let them know too much in case they uh, get a bit too proud, in which case the letters Presbyterian also stand for Britney Spears. You need a lot of spare time to either think of this stuff or take note of it. But uh, anyway, as we look at um, this beautiful psalm, Psalm 1, it's not only a case of Psalm 1 to watch over me, but it's Psalm 1 to educate us and to just help us see what God is offering. The psalms were and still are the Jewish prayer book for public worship. Just last week I had a response to my column about people being inspired to uh, act on the fact that God is with them and to see the change that they bring. I had an email from a reader who's finding it very difficult to sense that God is with them. And I guess we all go through times like that. And uh, Billy Graham has suggested a tremendous a way of understanding more about this, of taking five psalms per day and one chapter of Proverbs each day. In a month, you'll get through 150 psalms. And the psalms relate to every emotion that we feel. The whole emotional spectrum is addressed somewhere in the psalms. And We can pour our heart out to God in the pain, the anger, the frustration, the disappointment, the bitterness, the fear, the joy. And each one of these psalms might start off tremendously negatively but always comes to a point where there's a new recognition, a new awareness of God's availability. And because these psalms were public. So... We don't often hear in church a prayer starting off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me this? Or it's hopeless, it's hopeless. We sort of coat our emotions with a little more sophistication than that. But privately, whatever emotion we're we're experiencing, there's a psalm to touch on it. The psalms reveal God's greatness. They also reveal our human vulnerability and God's availability. God's guide to the good life. Excuse me. I'll just get back to... Could you pass my mobile, please? Thanks, Jono. Thanks, mate. Okay. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, who doesn't 
stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Hang on. It's there already, sorry. <laughs> Just have a look at it all. These three, three verses. that um, The three things to avoid at the beginning. Three things to avoid. Firstly, walking or living in ungodly wisdom. And there's a lot of ungodly wisdom around. A lot of cynical wisdom. I think it was Oscar Wilde who said that a cynic knows the cost of everything but the value of so little. And in Colossians 2 verse 3 it says that in Christ are hidden all the secrets of wisdom and knowledge. Ungodly wisdom is corrosive. It, it uh, prides itself on its suspicion, on finding fault. It pushes the persuasion to compromise, to take the easy way out. And there's little room for redemption in ungodly wisdom because you're stuck with where you are and you've got to find some tactic to deal with it or push everybody else to go your way. And we see that with lobby groups who are just so intolerant of any other opinion. We're seeing it in Hong Kong, we're seeing it in the streets of uh, Melbourne, in lots of different forms. A little lobby group of her own, eh? <laughs> and how delightful. <laughs> I won't flash up the footage of my youngest grandson who's just got his uh, crawling certificate uh, this morning. How about that? Nine and a half months and he's doing well. <laughs> okay. To walk in ungodly wisdom is a blind alley. To sit or to stand in the way of sinners. The spectators who just want to gawk. Somebody uh, cynically... <laughs> hopefully it was positive, said the church is very much like a football match where great numbers of people who desperately need exercise are watching people who desperately need a rest. Now, uh, Cherie, your call for volunteers is perhaps a little point in that direction, but uh, I'm just blown away by the, uh, the tremendous togetherness of this fellowship. We don't stand around with the sinners. Neither do we block their path. It's no good stagnating with people who aren't going anywhere. You know, dead fish can go down the stream pretty much as fast as live fish because they're just carried by the current. It's live fish that stand and swim against the stream. Spectators have so little to offer. Any wisdom they've got, any insights are usually second-hand. Don't work. And the third thing to avoid is to sit around with the critics. So comfortable. Armchair experts. Business, sports or politics. They know all about how it should be done. But if they've actually got the job to do, suddenly they'd be overwhelmed. And this is why revolutionaries make very poor leaders. 
because all their energy is in tearing down what is in their way, but they have so little to replace it. There's nothing so restrictive as a bunch of freedom fighters who gain power. You see that so often with the rise of communism and the secret police and all the intricate bureaucracy that gets in the way of the freedom that is a natural God-given right but a God-given right that's based on respect. It, it's so easy to criticise. It's just too easy to criticise. Have you ever seen a monument erected in honour of a critic? I did see a statue once in honour of a committee and there's people pointing in all directions. <laughs> it's good fun. But um, the power of social media is something else that... Uh, can stifle vision and creativity and can hound people, even drive young people to suicide because of the torrent of abuse and ridicule. The best answer to that, to ridicule, is your opinion of me is none of my business. Especially if it's a negative opinion for its own sake. And the constant negativity and this is increasing more and more, especially over the last 20 years. I remember soon after John Howard became Prime Minister, there was a bunch of protesters who occupied his office. There was no social media then. And he just let them stay there and didn't order the police in until about 5.30 when it was too late for any news crews to come and could get the publicity out. Nowadays, if there's a sit-in, it's on social media, everybody's mobile phones, attracting the crowd and getting in the mess. And, uh, well, it's different. And the torrent of pressure is uh, leading to political instability because people need the answers now without considering how long it takes to get things into shape. Blessed is the one who's righteous without being arrogant. Now, as the Jews worshipped and took on different psalms and festivals, they could recall God's covenant with Abraham. Now, unfortunately, they only got half the covenant in their minds. And Isaiah and all the other prophets had to come to remind them that they weren't just chosen for their own sake. But they were chosen to be a light to the rest of the world. The righteousness in their covenant depended on obeying God's laws. And that was a burden. That was a tremendous burden. And the Pharisees, the scribes, added to the burden by adding more restrictions. Jesus came to break open those restrictions, to open a path to God which was personal and intimate and always available, not depending on special events or special places. This new covenant is personal and it's ever-present. And the righteousness now relies on God's grace within us, not us trying to reach his grace. And it's released through our baptism. Now, it was great to see Isabel and Peter and Lois be baptised last week. And that's already stimulated a number of people who've asked about being baptised as well and we encourage that.
because it opens a door to God's grace and righteousness that otherwise is difficult to get through. It's not that we're actively avoiding wrong or trying to avoid wrong. Have you ever tried to forget something? The more you try to forget something, the more it comes to your mind, right? If I say to you, whatever you do, don't think of a kangaroo wearing a polka dot vest. Now, don't think about that. What's coming to your mind? A kangaroo wearing a polka dot vest. And that's how it is so often with the law. We see the restriction and we get, start to get fascinated. Well, why should we be restricted from that? But if we see the holiness of God and his righteousness as available, that becomes our attraction because it's his spirit being released within us to do what's right so that it's hard not to do what's right. But we do that without judging anyone else because God is the judge. Verse 2, a delight is in the law of the Lord and to meditate on this law day and night. Now, delighting in God's law is to discover the redemptive framework, a positive framework for life that's long-term. See, meditating is not a flash-in-the-pan thing. Meditating takes time. And we've got all of eternity to explore this meditation. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, you can't sit down and slide up a hill. There's a struggle. But God is in the struggle with us. And it's meditating and allowing his values, his attitudes and his integrity to infuse our character. It's not relying on the instant hits. True, there are exciting discoveries we make. But we don't rely on the next hit. We don't rely on the next sudden discovery but as the spirit of God within us reshapes our character we become more relaxed and able to think more long term and we build layer upon layer so that we can be described as saints you know about that have you ever thought of plain vanilla people like us being called saints hey eh? Because that's what we are. Because we're no different to the people at Ephesus or uh, Colossae or Philippi or Corinth or Rome. And these letters were written to the saints who belonged to those churches. Now what's, what's, what's the best definition of a saint? Well probably if I just explain it's somebody who attracts others to do what's right. That's basically what being a saint is. Just a, a positive pathway to advertise God's greatness and his availability wherever we are. No special places, no special names. But we know you want more. Like trees planted by streams of water yielding fruit in season and, and with a leaf that doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. This more timeline, it just, you don't plant a tree and stand back because it won't hit you in the face coming out of the ground. It'll take time. And let's think for a moment where trees grow best. 
in the dirt. <laughs> True. What else do they need? They need water. <laughs> Absolutely, Jono. And where do you find water mostly? In the valley, along the watercourse. Waters don't run uphill unless they're pumped or added by locks and things. But the natural course of water, and when people are in a valley, emotionally or spiritually or, or in any other way, when they're down, a tree can give refreshment and shade. See, it's not just for our growth. It's this meditation on, on God's law and his truth and allowing his spirit to come through us that refreshes people and nourishes others, not just ourselves. What are a few things the trees do? Counter pollution, they provide shelter, they provide fruit for nourishment, they provide beauty to keep people like Cherie employed as florist. <laughs> they stay fresh and growing. And this brings out the truth of Romans 8 verse 28 where it says, as we follow God's call and follow his purposes, he brings out everything for good. Nothing escapes his notice. This fruit keeps coming. It integrates us physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, socially and personally. And it has a wider impact. Whatever he does prospers. Now the prosperity is not just for the one meditating. I remember our first ministry down at Portland. A couple in the church set up a, um, a bookshop. Now, they didn't ask our permission. They didn't say, oh, this is the church's bookshop. Well, okay. It was terrific. But um, it was um, oh, it was great ministry that opened up. And we thought, okay, Port Town and you know, a lot of things going on. About three or four years ago, I heard that uh, Reverend Pam Kerr, who was the Uniting Church moderator for Victoria, uh, was in Kiliman Mount Kilimanjaro in Kenya, in Africa. Came across a very active Lutheran pastor who picked up her accent. Are you from Australia? Yes, she said. Do you know Portland? Yes, she said, I've been there often. And uh, it transpired that he had been a seaman, called into the port, totally lost in his life, found a Christian bookshop, bought some books, read them back on, sh on ship, gave his life to Christ. Now we had no idea that that was happening. The seeds of what God grows within us stretch out to nourish people in ways we may never see this side of our introduction to eternity. This church has been incredibly blessed and been a blessing to so many different racial groups have come to Australia from Kampuchea, from Vietnam, from China, and the ministry is continuing in ways beyond this group here. Churches have been planted. Why? Because at the heart and soul of this fellowship is the commitment to Jesus Christ and his truth. 
Now that's that's just so so great. Now, that, please don't get me wrong. This church is not one step past heaven. <laughs> you know, there's a few problems here still. A lot of answers we still don't have. But God is in our midst, nourishing people, even in our imperfections, even in our incompleteness. His grace is doing great things. And just uh, last Sunday was a classic case of that. And we're going to be blessed as people share how they've been blessed to come to Australia, to recognise the blessings here, to perhaps share some of the insights of where they've come from and what strengths that's been, but in the adjustments so that we can become more aware and more fruitful in our connections with people so that God can have more room. Well, that's all pretty positive. Not so the wicked, the problems of the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Problems of the wickedness blown away by like chaff. No strength, no nourishment. And uh, the classic example of uh, winnowing, where the uh, grain and all the husks and everything are lifted up in a basket and just tilted slightly so that the grain falls into a container and the wind just blows the husks and the chaff and the sticks and the little gunk right out of the way. And it's interesting that uh, the wind is a a picture of the Spirit of God blowing away the chaff. As we go into the seed and become the seed of growth, then he blows away the rubbish in our lives. And we just have to let him do it. It might be comfortable, might be a little difficult, but still, he blows it away. And he blows away the wickedness, Sin weakens us in every way. It helps us to exceed our limits so that we transgress going beyond the limits. We fall short of our potential. Romans 3.23 talks about all have sinned and falling short of the glory of God. Now, the word for falling short is a Greek word, hematia, which refers to an archery contest where the arrow doesn't quite reach the target. So the lack of fulfilment that sin has. It's also ignoring other people's needs and the parable of the um, the talent, the um, oh the sheep and the goats, where the sheep were welcomed into the kingdom because they had done all kinds of help for others, maybe unaware that Jesus was there in the midst, but they'd helped him and they were being rewarded. The goats might have been very good people, very righteous people, but they didn't see where Jesus was in the need. Maybe they were looking for the right right doctrinal path or the right sort of verbal clues before they could offer any help. But either way, they missed the presence of Jesus in the needs that others had. Or... A 
as Romans 14.22 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. We're, we're not allowing God the room in the decisions we make. We're missing out and we're being weakened. The problems continue in verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. There's no acquittal in God's judgment at the end of time because he will wrap it up. Nothing else makes sense. Or here and now, as um, John three sixteen through to 18, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that so whoever believes in him will not perish but live forever. But God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But those who do not believe, who refuse to believe, are condemned already. That's a big problem. But the comfort and the warning that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's not for us to judge, because the Lord knows us. He understands us. There's so much I don't understand about him. But to rest in his understanding of us, his acceptance of who we are, whatever we are, allows us to embrace others in their incompleteness and to allow his righteousness to flow through the relationship so that people can start to let go the stuff that they, they're being defeated by. And as we're being used to do that, our attraction to God's grace grows so that we find it harder to, be, to enjoy sin. Doesn't mean we won't sin, but it gets harder to enjoy it or to look forward to it as we reach out and allow his grace and his righteousness to connect and to bring healing and hope to the people around us. In committing to Jesus, we will live forever. But the way of the wicked will perish. As I mentioned last week, this word perish doesn't only mean dying. It means losing that sense of flexibility for life to be able to adjust and to make the most of change. Not just for our own benefit, so that others will be blessed as well. And of course... It's not just pleasant inflex and present inflexibility, it's ultimate and eternal death. That's how God declares it. He knows the timing. It's not for us to th go thundering and railing in judgment because he is the judge and every judgment he makes has mercy and redemption at its heart. But if people refuse the redemption, refuse the mercy then hell is God's greatest compliment to that freedom of choice. Because if they got into heaven, they'd be miserable. It'd be just too good, too unpleasant. So righteousness or wickedness, it's our choice. Righteousness from allowing Jesus' lordship within us and through us, or wickedness from refusing his lordship. The beautiful truth is that God has taken the judgment on himself through Jesus Christ. He invites us to accept his offer. He invites us to, accept, to extend this offer to everybody that we come across in our circle of influence, no matter how great or small that might be, no matter, no matter how obvious the response might be, because it's their choice 
It is their timing with God, not our own pressure, that will bring them through. Ministry, witnessing, discipleship. The greatest thing is that it's full of joy and it's humanly impossible. (laughs) So that as we relax in God's acceptance of us and his infilling of us, he starts to flow. And we become not only blessed, we become a blessing. And we learn how to be blessed and how to bless others. It's probably time for us to have a song, but let's have a prayer on the way. Lord, we want to thank you for the clarity of your truth, the freedom that your truth brings, the life that your truth brings. As we trust you, as we follow your pathway and enter into your life through baptism, through being filled with your spirit and exploring all the opportunities we have day by day as you lead us, as you guide us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.